on Thursday when I was at uh, this conference that I, I mentioned at the beginning of the, the service, um, one of the, the main speakers, it was a, a ministry conference up in um, just north of Tampa at Van Dyke uh, United Methodist Church. If any of you are familiar with the church, I know Kimlin Max are. Um, but uh, the, the main speaker in the first big session that they had was um, Ken Davis. Now, that main name probably won't ring a bell to a lot of you, but some of you women of faith remember Ken Davis from a few years ago, and uh, he is a, a speaker and a comedian and, and was, was as funny on Thursday as he was a couple years ago at, at Women of Faith, hysterical. But he talked about um, living, never stop living. And living well, and, and I'm not going to try to unpack his talk here, but, but the way that we, we express our faith and, and our life in Christ and, and the way that kind of shines through us and we embrace the life that, that God has, has created in us and called us to. And, and I, I share that as we begin this morning in this third part of our, our series, We Believe, as we look at these statements of, of confession, statements of faith, uh, professions of faith in, in our Apostles' Creed. And we move to Holy Spirit. We move to this third part of the, of the triune God. We started with God the Father. Last week we talked about Jesus, His only Son. And, and today we talk about the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is kind of a, a transitional piece. It's a both-and kind of piece because it is the Holy Spirit that begins to, to work in us so that we can live that full life that God has called us to. And, so, and, and we're going to explore that even further next week when we get to uh, church and that phrase, Holy Catholic Church, which we'll get to next week. But, um, but, but it's a wonderful reminder of the power of God that's at work in us. And so that's what we're going to explore and we're going to talk about for a few moments this morning. And I want to read from the beginning of the book of Acts, the first eight verses, nine verses there. Acts is, is sometimes called uh, the, the history of the church, the birth of the church, the, the, the accounts of those first years of this movement of, of followers of Christ. But it, it could also be described as a testimony to the work of the Holy Spirit because that's the power at work that makes all of it possible. And so we begin right at the very, very beginning of this book of Acts, which is really the continuation of the Gospel of Luke. Luke and Acts written by the same, the same author. And it, it continues uh, that story, uh, it continues the story of all the Gospels, but most directly tied there to Luke. And so this is what we read beginning at Acts, verse 1 in chapter 1. In my former book, Theophilus, again, being Luke, the Gospel of Luke, in my former book, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, 
Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are these, are you, I'm sorry, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious God, that um, your Holy Spirit would speak now to our hearts and open our ears to the truth of your word and to the power at work in and through all who believe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if I want to ask you to admit to this or not, so you can, you can feel free to, to raise your hand if you'd like, but how many of you have ever ran out of gas? Oh, some hands go up. Have ever? How many of you have ran out of gas because you just weren't paying attention to the gas? Sometimes gas gauges are faulty or whatever, but yeah. Yeah, it, it, it happens on occasion. I always thought it was... Um, a crazy thing to happen because you have a gauge there that tells you, but there are sometimes circumstances that take place. I have never run out of gas, but I have come painfully close. I should maybe the second question is how many of you have ever coasted into the gas station? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, exactly. By God's grace, you know, I was uh, that kind of thing. You know, uh, I, I was watching that. Uh, I don't really watch a lot, but the highlights a couple weeks ago uh, when Dale Earnhardt Jr. in the race was on the last lap and, and ran out of gas. And he didn't win, but he was able to coast around at least to finish second. Uh, how many of you have ever pushed it as far as you could go just because you were curious exactly how much gas your tank would hold? <laughs> Anybody done that? Yeah. I've done that once or twice. Um, it's, it's crazy, but, but we know that our cars have to have gas. In fact, uh, I look forward to the day, and somebody was talking to me, I was talking about this recently, and they said, oh, I just can't wait till the day the technology advances and we all have electric cars. And, and certainly, I, I don't know if you, how many of you have ever been at the gas pump, both because of the economic reality, but also because of the time reality and thought, man, I wouldn't miss not having to make these kind of stops. But even electric cars aren't immune from the problem of running out of juice. They're just getting it from a different place. You know, if you've seen these cars now and you've seen some of the, the service stations that pop up, you know, you got to plug these things in. Uh, when I was out in Seattle last summer, uh, they had actually more. I hadn't seen quite so many, but most of the gas stations, at least the ones I was there or saw there, had these kind of power stations where these electric cars could, could plug in. And I like that imagery maybe a little bit more, but the, the point is still the same. You, you've, got to, you've got to be attentive to where the source and the, um, the source of, of our power comes from. We've got to, to plug in 
if you will, and, and find out how it is that we begin to, to be charged. And, and that is, that's the, the work of the Holy Spirit. That is the gift of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promises to his disciples and by, by our adoption into the family of God through him that he promises to all who believe. It is the source of, of power and it is the presence of God that is at work in and through those who believe. And I hate that message. We've got to clean our filters when it starts saying check the airflow, but it hurts my feelings when I'm preaching and that message comes up. It's the Holy Spirit. Thank you very much. Oh, goodness. Sorry. That was totally unplanned. Um, but, but it is. It is the Holy Spirit that works in us and empowers us up. So what is it that we profess? What does it mean? And, and how does this look? Well, let's, let's do the thing that we've done each week in this series. Let's, let's for a moment, let's just unpack these, these two words side by side. Holy Spirit. Spirit. And, and let's start in reverse. Let's start with spirit because, because that's an important recognition of, of how and what and who is at work. Not a what, but it's a who. It's a person of, of the Trinity, but, but it, it describes how God works and what begins to change when God gets a hold of our life. And, and this is what I mean. When Jesus promises a power to his disciples. He is not talking about a military power. He's not talking about an economic power. He's not talking about a, a, a military or a prestige kind of power. He's talking about something very, very different. He's talking about something that begins to change the heart. When we hear the stories of men and women of faith who have come to faith, who have had their lives changed, the testimonies of, of people whose life has been claimed by Christ and who have submitted themselves to that. What is powerful about the testimony? In fact, what is important about the testimony? We don't, we don't put people up front or, or, or celebrate lives because somebody stands up and says, well, when I became a Christian, everything changed. I'd always wanted a BMW and I got one. Or when, when I became a Christian, all of a sudden I um, became a powerful political um, representative or player and I got all this um, authority under or in my hands or, or, or whatever. We, those things may happen to believers. They may happen to those who follow Christ, but that's not what we celebrate. When we hear the stories of, of men and women whose lives have changed, when you share with me your stories... What I hear are stories about relationships that were broken, that were healed because a man committed to becoming a better husband or a father because of what Jesus had done in his life. Or a wife committed to being, or a woman committed to being a better wife or a mother or a child to, to their parents or to parents to their kids 
or to brothers. To, I mean, we could go on and on. We talk about the things that happen within us that begin to break down the walls, to soften our hearts. We begin to talk about the way that God claims our life and uses us to bless others and to love others and to reach to the poor and to care for the broken and to love the hurting. We talk about a transformation that takes place from within and gets lived out, but it is not a materialistic, tangible um, self-filling transformation. It is a self-giving transformation. And what the disciples found in the power that came of God was that it changed them from within. It changed their spirit. And they recognized that the power that changed their spirit was spirit. And so it speaks immediately to not only who God is, but what God changes within us and who we become. So it is spirit, but it is not just spirit. Holy is there. And that speaks to where this comes from. This is not a source that is inherent within us, but it is a source, a, a, it is the presence of God that we invite to come and to take root. We invite to come and to reside within us. We open our hearts to, but it is the very presence of God. It is the Spirit of God. It is very much this third part of the Godhead, the triune God. And, and it is not just a, um, a messenger. It's, it's not a secondary part to, to, to God and Jesus. It is very much the very same Spirit that is God and Jesus. If you were to look at the, the Nicene Creed, which we've done from time to time, that is right next to the affirmation or the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed just, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and then we start moving into the church. But I want you to hear what the Nicene, the, the, the early church fathers and, and leaders said about this Holy Spirit. It said, We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who is with the Father and the Son, is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. This is not just Spirit. This is Holy Spirit. This is God. And this is God that begins to take hold, God's Spirit that begins to take hold of our spirit and to begin to change us and to begin to work within us. So, Holy Spirit. And that sounds great, and that's wonderful theological head knowledge. But let's talk about what God does in the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about why it matters. And there's three points that I want to make this morning. I don't usually preach three-point sermons, but I want to make, I want to stress three points this morning. The first is the Holy Spirit is God's presence with us. The Holy Spirit is God's presence with us. I want you to hear another part of Scripture this morning from John chapter 14. And this is verse 16 of, of John's Gospel. There, that chapter, it's red letter words. This is things that Jesus says. And he says to his disciples, and he's, he's beginning this preparation uh, for his departure. He's beginning to prepare them for what would be his crucifixion, his resurrection, but also for his ascension, for that time that he is no longer going to be there in physical body. And he says in verse 16, I will ask the Father, 
And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. The Holy Spirit is God's presence with us. When Jesus walked this earth, his disciples found strength and and power by his presence. They found encouragement from his presence, from the ability to be with him. But Jesus was limited. He could only be in one place at one time. Just like we are only in one place at one time. Jesus says to his disciples that when I leave you in bodily form, I will return to you as Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit allows God to be with all of us. That's omnipresence that we talk about. That God that can be all places at all times. That is with you and is with me and is with all those who open their hearts to believe. It is the one who who the the scriptures call, in this it's called advocate or comforter. Those are two words that that are often translated in the text there. But it really means the God who is with us. That's that's what that word, to abide with. Advocate and comforter is one who abides with. In fact, in some places in the Greek, it is used to describe the same word, uh, paraclete, is used, or, or parakletos, is used to describe a battle partner. When the Greek would go into battle, you always went in with, you always had a battle partner, somebody who figuratively had your back. And, and that's that same word that we translate as advocate or, or comfort or Holy Spirit is the God who is with us, who is abides with us. Jesus says that, abide in me and I will abide in you. It is our, our battle partner. Whatever image gives you that comfort, but it's that assurance that God is with us. Because it's frightening when we think we are alone. I remember um, when Cassidy was four or five years old. I don't know why this stands out in my mind, but I remember very, very clearly. Tony and I, and, and I'm sure Ryan, were at a Walmart or somewhere. We were back near the electronics. And Cassie caught... The, the kind of, you know, where all the games are back there, and a lot of times they have the controllers set up and the kids can play, and she caught that. And so she immediately just walked over and started playing, just completely impervious to what we were doing, which is what kids do. And um, so I saw her. I knew where she had gone. I'm not always the most attentive parent, but in this time I kept an eye on her. But I told Tony and Ryan, Tony was going on, I said, you go on, I'll, I'll keep an eye on Cassie. And so I hid from her, and I watched. I wasn't, trying to, I wasn't trying to be mean. This was not me messing with my kids. I wanted to see. I was just curious what she would do when she recognized she was alone, or at least when she recognized her parents weren't with her. And so I watched, and she played for a few minutes, and I'll never forget, all of a sudden she started to look around, and she realized we weren't there. And the panic set in. She immediately got scared. Now, I stepped out at that moment. I did not try to traumatize my daughter. (laughs) And I stepped, because I was trying to to teach a little bit of a lesson about her need to be aware. But, But I'll never, ever forget that moment in which I could see in her eyes the fear because she thought she was alone. 
The Holy Spirit is God's promise. You're never alone. You're never alone. What does Jesus say in Matthew 28, 20? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Holy Spirit is God's presence with us. Now, the second, the Holy Spirit is God's wisdom for us. The Holy Spirit is God's wisdom for us. Moving down in that chapter in the Gospel of John at verse 26. But the advocate, comforter, paraclete, battle partner, whatever word you want to use, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Will teach you and remind you. God's wisdom, which is different than the wisdom of the world. There's a, an old kind of preacher story that goes around of, of four people that were in a plane. They were in a small plane, pilot, very important businessman, a, a pastor, and a, and a young, young boy. All of a sudden, the, the pilot turned around to the others and said, we have a problem. The engine's stalling. We're not going to make it. And there's four of us on this plane, and there's only three parachutes. I have a wife and a child, and they expect me to be home at dinner tonight. I have to go. And he, the pilot grabs a parachute and jumps out the plane. The businessman looks at the preacher and the young boy, and he says, I am one of the smartest men in all the world. I, I have so much to contribute, not just to, to my family, but, but the whole world would lose if I were to die. And with that, he grabbed a bag and jumped out the plane. The pastor, older gentleman, looked at the young boy and said, you know, I have lived a long life. I have been blessed. You are young. You have so much of your life ahead of you. You take the last parachute and I will stay on the plane. The young boy looked at him and said, preacher, don't you worry about it. The smartest man in the world just jumped out of the plane with my backpack. Now, there is wisdom and there's discernment. God gives us his wisdom, which is often discernment, is the ability to hear and to hear again the words that the Holy Spirit speaks. It's interesting that Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will teach and remind you of what I have said. I, I was talking to John and John Godfrey as the two of us were at this conference this week, and I said to him as we were driving home on Friday, I said, you know what was interesting is I don't think I heard anything that I haven't heard before. There was nothing in this conference that was, wow, I've never heard that. It wasn't a challenge or a point or a, a learning that was completely brand new. But I said, but it was all stuff I needed to hear again. It was all things that I needed to be reminded of, things that, 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 that in my own life I wasn't practicing and, and lessons I wasn't um, utilizing. So it wasn't wisdom as much as it was discernment. It is the power of God that speaks to us that we learn to hear. I mean, I am amazed at how often and, and humbled that, that you all will come up to me and you'll say, that sermon, that's exactly what you, know, I need. you, you were preaching to me. And I've told you I've never written a sermon with any one of you in mind. But when you hear that, that says to me that you are open to the Holy Spirit that's speaking to you. 
and, and, and how many times you all have spoken into my life and you all have shared things with me and, and shared stories and I thought that's what I needed to hear. That was what I was needed to hear because it is the Holy Spirit that teaches us and gives us wisdom and the ability to hear and to, to be sensitive to the things that Jesus has taught us in the way that we're called to live. So it's the Holy Spirit that is God's presence with us. It is the Holy Spirit that is God's wisdom for us. But see, God's wisdom is exemplified in our lives. Remember that he says that, that we'll teach you everything that Jesus, the Holy Spirit will teach you and remind you of what Jesus has said. Well, we know if you study the Gospels that, that following Jesus is not an intellectual pursuit. It's not the ability to recite commandments and laws and, and doctrine. That, that matters. Jesus says the evidence of you following me the evidence of discipleship, the evidence of obedience, the evidence of hearing the Holy Spirit is going to be how you live it. He tells the story of the judgment of those that are seated at the right and the left of God, those who are cast out and welcomed in. And he says, the question will be, when I was hungry, did you feed me? When I was naked, did you clothe me? When I was in prison, did you visit me? When I was sick, did you pray for me? That is, it's the evidence of, of how we live this faith in Christ. And so here's the third point. The Holy Spirit is God's presence with us. It is God's wisdom for us. And it is God's power in us. And this brings us back to the chapter 1 of Acts. Because Jesus says that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. Now what does power look like? If you go to Acts chapter 2, you get to see the story of what the Holy Spirit's power looks like. It looks like a story of men and women whose lives are transformed by Jesus, whose lives are changed because of their encounter of the Holy Spirit and their openness to the work of God in their life. And all of a sudden, they go and they do something. They get out into the streets and they begin to preach the gospel. They begin to heal the sick. They begin to care for the hungry. They begin to live out the life of Jesus. They begin to look like Jesus. They begin to turn heads because people go, that is a strange group. Look at what they do. You know, in the Roman world, what stood out about the church is they were the only organization, if you want to call them that, the only movement, the only group that actually cared about the people who were disadvantaged. They received the power of God that became evidenced in the way that they lived their lives. That is the testimony of who we are called to be, a people whose faith is evidenced by the way that we live our lives, to become transformed by this power of God, by our spirits becoming transformed when we open ourselves to the Spirit of Jesus. It is God's power, or God's presence with us. It is God's wisdom for us, but is God's power in us. It is the gifts of the Spirit that are always for the service of Christ, for the building of His church to make a difference. The, uh, the, there's a, a cliche that's said, but I think there's a lot of truth in it. The church is the only organization in the world that exists for those who are not part of it. You know, for the world, out of those outside. And that's what the Holy Spirit prompts us into service, into ministry, into lives that reflect Jesus. 
That's what it means when we say we believe in this Holy Spirit. And we're going to go further with that next week and what it looks like to be that kind of people, to be charged in or plugged in and charged up and to recognize where our power, where our strength comes from. It's not innate within us. It's, it's invited into us. And that invitation is to Jesus to come and to take root, to take hold of my life. That is the invitation I want to leave you with today. The challenge I want to leave you with because God desires His Holy Spirit to take root in your life. God desires for you to know powerfully of His presence with you. God desires you to hear His voice that speaks His wisdom to you. God desires for you to know His power that works through you. But it takes your invitation. Jesus doesn't blast His way in. What does He say? I stand at the door and knock. And those who open to me, I come to. That's my paraphrase. Those who open to me, have you opened that door? Have you invited Jesus in? Have you submitted your life to the one who has desires to, to hold your life and to take hold of you in a way that will transform and bless and empower you? Because all it takes is an invitation. I believe wholeheartedly that God is knocking on some of your hearts and asking you to open them, asking you to let him in. And all it takes is the invitation. Jesus, come. Come, Jesus, come. Take hold of my life. That's all it takes. And as we close in prayer this morning, and as we continue the worship this morning, and have you invited him in? Have you invited him in? If you haven't, don't leave here today without doing so. Don't leave here today without doing so. It just takes a submissive heart. Here is what inviting Jesus looks like. Come. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Submission to the Father. Open your hearts to the one who desperately wants you to know him and who desperately wants you to experience his power and his grace. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, there are two needs here today. There are some here this morning that have never invited you in, that have never opened their hearts to your Holy Spirit. And I pray that right now, Hearts are being opened. And the Holy Spirit has been invited to take root, take hold, to claim lives. And Lord, there are many of us here who need to just open that door a little wider, to recommit our lives to you. We've invited you in. We've, we've given our lives to Jesus. But, but sometimes that journey gets hard and our eyes get diverted, and our hearts become hardened, soften hearts, re-energize us for the work of Jesus, and open us anew 
to the fresh wind of your Holy Spirit that blows upon us. Wherever we are today, speak to us. Empower us and use us to the glory of Christ Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit, come. We pray in your name. Amen.